Hello and thanks for listening to episode seven of Institutional Insights. Today I'm joined with Camilla Curtis, who is a solicitor in our group legal team and supports our PRT business. And we'll be discussing what pension schemes can expect when agreeing an umbrella contract with an insurer. Thanks for talking to us today, Camilla. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your role, what that entails and how it fits within our pension risk transfer business? Hi, of course. So I'm Camilla Curtis, solicitor in the Greek legal team for the PRT business. And what that involves is that I tend to help advise on um, front-end BPA transactions, as well as the reinsurance transactions that follow them. So I tend to get involved in quite a lot of the projects that the PRT team have running. Great. And just to confirm, BPA, does that mean bulk purchase agreement? Yeah, so it's it's a bulk purchase annuity agreement. So that can be a a standard buy-in or buy-out contract. Great. Let's delve into the wonderful world of umbrella contracts. Can you explain what an umbrella contract is and, and how it's structured for those listening that may not have come across these before? Yeah, of course. So an umbrella contract is a BPA which the trustees of a scheme can put in place with an insurer. It's a framework agreement and each transaction that's completed under an umbrella contract is structured using two documents. So the first of those is a master BPA, which contains the terms which would be applicable to all transactions written under it. And then separately, there's a short schedule, which is generally referred to as a transaction schedule, which sets out the specific details of the first deal. So there could end up being multiple transaction schedules, depending on the number of transactions under the master BPA. And so the transaction schedules generally tend to end up containing matters that are deal specific, such as the premium mechanic key dates such as reporting dates or the on-risk date and other sort of similar very deal-specific matters. Great. Now, as much as I would love to have linked LNG's umbrella logo to um, (laughs) the umbrella framework, unfortunately, that's obviously not the case. And I think (laughs) it's mainly due to the ability for a scheme to be able to enter into a series of buy-in under that one master agreement that you, you spoke about. Is that correct? That's absolutely right, Paige. So more and more schemes are obviously entering into umbrella agreements. We're, we're seeing a lot more in the in the press. What are the benefits for a scheme to set one of these up? So the trustees of a scheme, they may look to put in place an umbrella contract to ensure that they're well placed to transact quickly when market conditions lead to favourable pricing. Now, that's because the pre-agreed terms can generally be used to transact with only limited updates to reflect the terms of the specific deal or where there are other amendments which might be required because of things like change in law like GDPR or other changes in risk appetite but what that means is that it tends to cut down the negotiation time in connection with each new deal and so that's obviously beneficial for trustees. There's also some other circumstances where an umbrella contract might come in useful so they can be particularly helpful when used in conjunction with other de-risking products so for example an assured payment policy or APP. So under an APP, the trustees might have insured fixed cash flows with an insurer. And as part of that product, you can generally surrender all or part of those cash flows and then convert those surrendered cash flows into a new buy-in transaction. 
Now, if the trustees are planning to do that regularly, so for example, on an annual basis, then having an umbrella contract may really cut down repetitive negotiation upon each conversion of the APP. And from your previous experience in putting these together and negotiating them, does it take longer to put these in place or would you say it's similar in terms of entering into an an initial buy-in transaction? So I would say that the process of agreeing to an umbrella contract is pretty similar to negotiating a standard BPA. There's obviously a couple of extras, but the umbrella contracts that we prepare tend to materially overlap with the standard BPA terms of business. And so the key distinction in the negotiation of an umbrella contract versus a standard BPA is that both the insurer and the trustee need to consider which terms are going to apply just for a specific transaction versus which will apply across the umbrella contract. Another difference is that we do, from an insurer perspective, need to try and future-proof the umbrella contracts a bit more. So, for example, if we're using different reinsurers to optimise the pricing for the trustee for different tranches or transactions, then those reinsurers will all have slightly different requirements, which need to be accommodated at day one in the umbrella, just to ensure that we have maximum future pricing flexibility to be able to offer that onwards to the trustees. I mean, in in terms of the contractual structure itself, as as we've said, we will end up with an umbrella BPA and a transaction schedule. The terms which are only applicable for one transaction are generally contained within the transaction schedule to try and keep the master BPA universally applicable to all transactions. And depending on the nature of benefits that the trustee decides to ensure with us, you also may end up with an umbrella gap policy, and that would just cover non-matching adjustment eligible benefits. And so that that's purely a legal contractual structuring point more than more than anything else. On a subsequent transaction that assuming that you're not going to apply any changes to the umbrella, then you may be able to transact quite quickly on the basis of just the transaction schedule, a new data file and, and a benefit specification. And we've done that historically within a, a sort of two week window. And I think an, an important note to mention is that we've seen some schemes who have previously entered into a buying with an insurer have actually later on decided to enter into an umbrella contract to be able to speed up those processes of of future buy-ins before they convert to buy-out at a later date. So there is the flexibility for schemes who have an existing buy-in to put in an umbrella contract in place if it makes sense for them to do so. What sort of things would a scheme need to, to consider if they're thinking about entering into an umbrella contract? Yeah, of course. So in terms of steps that pension schemes need to consider before they agree to a contract, I think as part of that decision process, the trustees will need to decide whether it's going to be beneficial to use an umbrella versus a standard BPA. The trustee will clearly need to consider the likelihood of, of entering into a repeat transaction with that insurer. So clearly, if the trustees are looking to secure all of the benefits of the scheme in one transaction, then an umbrella contract isn't likely to be beneficial. Whereas if the trustees are envisaging a more gradual approach to de-risking with multiple transactions taking place over perhaps several years, then it might be more helpful to consider an umbrella contract. And then sort of similar with any other transaction, the trustees will need to ensure that they've reconciled their data, prepared a benefit specification for the first transaction and considered other key matters like GMP equalisation. The trustees also need to consider their governance process to ensure it's streamlined to enable them to take advantage of the increased flexibility that an umbrella contract might bring them during periods of future pricing volatility. 
Thanks, Camilla. That's really useful indeed. Now we've discussed what an umbrella contract is, what a scheme needs to consider before putting one in place and the benefits of having one. It would be great if we can bring this together using a, a case study as such. And given ICI was the first one to put a, an umbrella contract in place back in 2014, I believe, I think this would be a great one to discuss. Can you talk us through their journey, why they chose to put an umbrella contract um, in place and, and what they've been able to achieve since then? So, yeah, of course, LNG executed an umbrella contract with the ICI pension fund in, I think, yeah, this year, March 2014, covering around three billion of liabilities. And then following that, because they then had the contractual and governance framework in place, the trustees of the scheme were then subsequently able to really quickly secure an additional 750 million buy-in with us within eight working days of the Brexit vote. And so the trustees were really able to lock it in increased affordability for them due to the market volatility at that time. For a scheme and an insurer to agree a transaction within eight working days just shows how quickly a scheme can move compared to a, a normal process, a normal transaction process, which can involve weeks of contract negotiations. So the driving factor, I suppose, behind ICI in entering into an umbrella contract was because they were looking at doing a, a series of buy-ins as they progress to buy out. And by putting this in place allowed them to move a lot quicker when opportune moments come about, like the Brexit vote you mentioned, and most recently the period of volatility we saw in the market last year following the outbreak of COVID-19. They were then able to transact, and believe it was their ninth transaction with legal in general, taking advantage of, of favourable pricing, which was currently available. Now, a number of, of schemes hold multiple buy-ins with different insurers. Is this the same with umbrella contracts? So can a scheme enter into multiple umbrella contracts with different insurers? Yeah, absolutely. So so pension schemes can can have a sort of panel of insurers with umbrella agreements in place with each. And that will really enable them to quickly transact with whichever insurer is offering the best pricing at the time. So there is nothing in terms of entering into an umbrella agreement with one insurer which would prevent the trustees of a scheme from from putting in place a different arrangement with a different insurer. Fantastic. So really increasing that that flexibility around who they would like to work with. And I suppose it comes down to capacity as well at that point in time with the different insurers working on, on different projects. Given there's a lot of demand in the market, especially with the volumes that we've seen written over the last three or four years, and it's only increasing. So insurers are increasingly more busy and they're quoting on it on a lot of projects, but can't physically quote on everything. Do you think having an umbrella contract in place is enabling those schemes to be able to engage with the insurers that they want to and then actually do those transactions and is probably a reason why umbrella agreements are becoming more and more popular? I think I think there's probably an, a helpful element to having an umbrella contract in place with the insurer as well because you've, you've forged that relationship with the insurer. And, and you get used to the to the way that you are able to transact and transact more quickly as a result of having that established relationship. So that can only, again, be beneficial for a scheme. Is there any ending thoughts or advice uh, that you can give the trustees that are listening who are considering maybe entering into an umbrella agreement? Absolutely. So I think 
we're seeing an increasing number of trustees and advisors considering umbrella contracts. I think there's sort of increasing recognition of the flexibility which they might bring to a scheme's de-risking journey. They might consider umbrella contracts with one or, or multiple insurers. And so we would encourage trustees to give some thought as to whether an umbrella contract or umbrella contracts, plural, might be a beneficial structure for their scheme as well. I know our PRT team are always happy to have these conversations and talk through trustees' questions who are starting to consider an umbrella contract and if that's something that would be beneficial for their scheme, especially if they're looking at doing that that phased approach that you mentioned earlier on. So thanks so much, Camilla. It's been really interesting to talk through umbrella framework, especially from a legal perspective and the, the points to consider, I suppose, before entering into one. For those listening, don't forget you can subscribe to our podcast via Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks for listening and goodbye.